for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is April 6, 2021, and today I've got Paul Baker from Pennsylvania on talking about one of the biggest seven points that I've ever seen. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Blasey, and today is episode 154. And today I've got PA native Paul Baker on to talk about a deer that he has hunted for a couple years, and it is a giant seven point. This seven point is roughly around the 140 inch mark, I believe, and he's had one heck of a story with this deer. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on it because it's a really cool story, but I do want to go back. You know, I've been doing this podcast for almost three years now, or just over. I'm coming up on season four, I believe, here. I should probably know that. I think in March. So I've been doing it this long. And, you know, on the back end of things, I can see, you know, how many downloads per state I get. And PA is always in the top three. You know, the fall podcast gets downloaded a lot on PA. And honestly, I was looking back at, like, how many PA guests I've had. I haven't had a lot at all. And I don't know why that was not designed by any reason. Maybe I just don't know a lot of people from PA and, uh, but I, I want to change that. So Paul Baker, he's coming on to do this unbelievable story. Um, a lot of people will be able to relate to this, but I do want people to, that are hearing this reach out to me. If you know anybody from PA doing crazy things, you know, a good success story, or you just want to hear from some guys that maybe fly under the radar a little bit that a lot of people don't know about but want to get their story out there or should get their story out there, let me know. I'd be happy to have them on. So um, with that being said, I'm going to jump over this interview with Paul and uh, appreciate you guys downloading, appreciate everything you guys do, all the support. Thank you very much. And here's this interview with Paul Baker. All right, we're back for another episode of the Fall Podcast. And today I've got a guest on from Pennsylvania, Paul Baker, that that's correct, right, Paul? Yeah, that's right. I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man, and thank you for uh, coming here to to tell this sweet story that I cannot wait to dive into. Yeah, absolutely. I really uh, really excited to uh, share the story with you, and I appreciate you having me on to uh, you know to share the story with your listeners. Yeah, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me, man. You reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and you know, not not necessarily to get on the podcast. I don't think it was, but I asked you after you told me. It was just kind of a story. You were like, "Hey, man, you know, I listen to the podcast, love it, but I wanted to tell you this kind of story about this deer, and then your wife's deer, and then I just said it's too good to not share with everybody else out there." So I asked you if you'd come on, and here we are. We're recording now, man. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I've been listening to your podcast for uh, you know, pretty much since you started it, and uh, 
And, you know, the one thing I like about it is, you know, you dive into the stories with, you know, these other hunters and let them share their stories. And, uh, you know, it's obviously, you know, very informational. You gain a lot of knowledge from it, but I just love hearing stories of people killing big bucks. So, you know, it's, it's one of my favorites. Well, I appreciate that, man. It means a lot. And honestly, as weird as it sounds and, you know, I have, I, I can see all the downloads and everything on the back end of what's going on with the podcast and Pennsylvania is either number one or two every month with like downloads and I look back and I'm like man I've you might be the first Pennsylvania guy on if not the first like two or three I don't know why I just haven't had PA guys on <laughs> you know it's it's crazy it's I yeah that's what I told you you know a little bit before I came on the show you know Pennsylvania especially the area that I'm in it's it's so heavy hunter density I mean it, it's just you know people go to work you know they sleep they eat and they hunt you know it's an area where you know, people are just consumed by the, uh, the sport. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a passionate hunter, it's a great area to, uh, you know, to live for sure, man. Well, everybody kind of knows your name, Paul Baker. You're from Pennsylvania. Can you elaborate a little bit more on like, you know, how old you are and maybe what you do for a living? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, 34 years old, actually just turned 34 yesterday. Um, I was born and raised in a small town of Emporium, Pennsylvania, which is in Cameron County, which is actually the smallest county in all of the state of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, was heavy into sports, you know, throughout high school. Um, actually never started bow hunting. You know, in high school, it was strictly gun hunting. You know, it was a tradition that, you know, that my family had, my dad, you know, my grandfather, I did a lot with my uncle. You know, I just absolutely loved it. Did a lot of turkey hunting in high school as well. Um, you know, and then once I graduated high school, continued the gun hunting. Um, but never got into archery just because, you know, for one with sports, it consumed a lot of that time of the year. And my dad, you know, he was never a bow hunter. So, you know, it was something that, you know, I never really had interest in doing. And then when I met my wife, um, my now wife, you know, back then I met her in like 2010. Uh, she was from a town, you know, she was born and raised a town. It's like an hour away from me. Um, and when we started dating and shortly after we started dating, we moved in together. Her family, you know, they're diehard bow hunters her dad, her brother. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, from that, when I moved in with her and, you know, started, you know, take, taking up archery, um, it's consumed me ever since. So I would say I've been bow hunting now for uh, about 10 years. Um, when I'm not hunting, I, you know, I, for 10 years after I graduated, I, I was in home improvement sales. Um, you know, I worked for a kitchen and bath company. I traveled and sold uh, kitchens and baths. Um, and about a little over a year ago, I left that. I was just ready for a change. And, I'm actually currently in the process of getting my real estate license, uh, you know, and plan on, you know, venturing down that road and, and hopefully making a career out of the real estate. Very cool, man. That's, that's really cool to hear that uh, you're relatively new to the bow hunting world. I mean, yeah, it's been, it'll be 11 years now, but that's, that's still pretty new to it. I would think, um, you know, cause right. a lot of the, the guys and gals that I talk to on here, you know, it's always kind of been a majority of it's been like, I grew up in the bow hunting world. I mean, you grew up as a hunter, so that's, that's key, yep. but you know, I grew up when I was eight years old, I was toting around a bow, even though I couldn't kill anything yet. You know what I mean? It was like a lot of those guys and girls that I have on, you know, usually come from that. So it's, it's refreshing to hear, you know, kind of a newer mindset to it. And I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I guess you could say I was a little late to the game in terms of you know, I might not have, you know, as much, uh, you know, history with the, you know, with bow hunting as some do. Um, but, you know, ever since I started, which, you know, like I said, it was about 10 years ago, you know, when I, you know, when I, when I, when I started to bow hunt, I just absolutely fell in love with it. And from that day on, it's, you know, for lack of a better, you know, term, it's become an addiction. And, you know, if I'm not working or if I'm not with my family, you know, I'm doing something, whether I'm shooting my bow, you know, listening to podcasts, reading, you know, spending time in the woods, shed hunting, scouting. I mean, that's, it just consumes my life. And, uh, so I guess, you know, I, I've made up for, you know, missed time in the last 10 years with, you know, how much of an addiction it's become and how much time I spend actually involved in it. That's cool, man. I got to agree a hundred percent, man. It's archery hunting and, and, and bow hunting and everything. It's just an addiction you, you nailed it. It's there. I don't really know if there's a better word for it really. I mean, it's just, it consumes my life. It consumes, like you said, your life now and a lot of people out there listening. So I agree, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess that's probably the best word to use for it. It's a complete <laughs> addiction, a good addiction, healthy yes. addiction, I guess. For sure. It could be worse. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so let's get into this. Uh, you know, 
I, I kind of yeah. want to start from the beginning, but first of all, I want to say you shot one of the biggest seven points that I don't know if I've I, probably the biggest one I've ever seen. Um, when you sent me a picture <laughs> of it, I'm like, holy shit, like that thing is giant. So I guess let's start from the beginning. You know, you had multiple years of history with this deer, but like, let's start from the beginning. When did you first see him? Um, and really get to notice like this deer's got something special going on. Yep. So uh, it would have been 2018. So three seasons ago, um, it would have been probably, you know, middle to end of October. Uh, I was doing a camera check on this property. And uh, that year I was hunting a, a, a different buck on this property. Uh, and I was, this was the only buck I was hunting. He consumed my, you know, every single thought every day. You know, I spent a ton of time in the woods hunting this one particular deer, but in the course, you know, I started noticing this buck. He had a pretty good frame. Uh, he was a mainframe eight point, had good, you know, good brow points. Um, you know, that in 2018, he would probably, you know, scored around 120. Um, you know, based on pictures, I figured he was either three or four, which is, you know, if he's, it's a really good three-year-old for this, this area. If he was a four-year-old, you know, it's pretty average four-year-old for this area. Um, and in fact, that year, my wife actually did a couple sits trying to, to kill him. Cause I thought maybe he was a, a four-year-old, uh, buck and, you know, it was a good buck for her to target. He was pretty daylight active, but he showed up towards the end of October. And, uh, I never saw, I, like I said, I hunted that property exclusively all year. I never saw him on the hoof. Um, got a fair amount of pictures of him from, you know, the end of October through the second week of November. And then he kind of disappeared. Um, and then I would say, you know, the way Pennsylvania seasons run, you know, archery typically runs from the first Saturday in October through the second Saturday, you know, give or take, you know, how the, how the calendar year falls of November. And then we have a, a two week break and then the rifle season will pick back up, you know, after Thanksgiving. Um, and while I was gun hunting, I actually had one encounter. I take that back. I did have an encounter with him gun hunting, um, a brief encounter, you know, he came through the bottom of one of our food plots, uh, just enough for me to get a, get the, the, the binos on him and, uh, recognize what Bucky was, but you know, never a chance to kill him, nor would I have killed him that year. Cause I was hunting this other deer. Um, got a couple pictures of him after that, you know, in gun season, then he completely disappeared in 2018. Um, so really, you know, other than that, that brief encounter with the gun and, you know, a couple weeks of pictures, that was really the only, you know, sightings or pictures we had of him in 2018. Okay. So, I guess before we get too far, you said you're hunting them on private ground. How big was this chunk of private yes. ground? So the piece of ground that we have out there is give or take a hundred acres. Uh, I'd have to look at the, at the map to tell you exactly, but you know, roughly it's around a hundred to 110 acres that, that, that we hunt. Okay. Is there any ag around it? Is it all big timber? Like how does that lay out? So a lot of the area that we hunt out here is old strip jobs. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with like, you know, that kind of habitat, but a lot of pines, you know, a lot of low growth, uh, you know, habitat, um, you know, the, the, our property in particular, um, you know, the, 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 it would be the, the north end of the property is primarily that type of habitat, old strip job, lots, actually really good bedding, uh, lots of, lots of pines, lots of thick brush. And then on the south end of the property, it is open timber. Um, I guess I would describe it as like non-value timber. It's a lot of just junk timber, um, not real thick, but on the West end of the property, there's about a 40 acre marsh swamp, uh, that covers the whole wet, that borders the whole West end of the property, which holds a ton of deer. Um, and as far as ag goes, there's a couple farms to the East, uh, you know, that will rotate corn and beans from year to year. And then there's a farm, a private owned farm to our West, uh, that we're actually pretty good friends with and they plant, uh, you know, corn and beans every year and they typically leave them standing for the deer. So okay. there's a good mix of, uh, habitat out there. There's food, you know, and that's not, you know, there's a lot of food plots out there too. You know, a lot of small landowners that plant food plots. So pretty diverse in terms of habitat and, uh, and food out in that in particular area. Yeah, it sounds like you got a good variety. Like towards the north, you got a high stem count, and then you got some bedding to the, like the southwest, and then the south. Is it more mature, like just real tall trees with not a lot of understory or nothing? It kind of looks like a deer desert, I like to call it. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the end of the property that has the open timber, it's not real thick. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you can stand at one end and you can see 100 yards through 150 yards through the woods, um, you know, with really no, you know, you know, nothing blocking you. Sure. So not ideal in terms of, uh, you know, not real good browse, not real good bedding, um, but there are real good, you know, areas for bedding and stuff in, in other locations. But the timber itself, um you know, it's older, but it's not really, like I said, not a lot of oaks, almost no oaks, uh, a lot of beach, a lot of, uh, you know, pines, just a lot of junk timber in there. I got you. Okay. I can definitely visualize that. So you got a lot of timber. Now, are you putting in food plots and everything, you know, in strategic places, or is it just like hunting, you know, do you not really mess around with that kind of stuff? Yeah. So we have, we currently have two food plots on that property. Um, and based on the way the property lays, we're kind of limited as to, you know, how much food we can put on the property and where we can put it. So when I first started hunting the property, we had a one acre plot, um, you know, that was kind of centrally located in the property. And we typically would plant, you know, clover, brassicas, you know, alternate year after year, whatever it may be. Um, and then about four years ago, I'd say probably 2016, we came in with the dozers and we cleared out a, a large food plot uh, that's just under four acres. Um, and they actually, you know, they, they form kind of an L shape. So the, you know, the, the, the original food plot kind of runs downhill. Um, and then the, the new food plot, which is just under four acres, they kind of form an L shape. If you can you know visualize that and uh, connecting them is just a little patch of pines. And there's a, an old road that connects the two. And I mean, from one food plot to the other, you're talking maybe 30 yards. Um, so kind of all our food is centrally located in one spot in terms of food plots. Okay. Now that with those, that four acre food plot and then the smaller plot, are you strictly farming those four deer then? I mean, the four acre plot, do you have a, you know, do you have a farm that comes in, takes the crops off or does it just for deer? Just for deer. You know, we do most of our planning on our own. We also have actually one of the neighbors out there that, that borders us and in, uh, in you know from two directions uh he does some of our planning uh, you know on our other properties and he does some planning there um but you know any pl planning that we do uh for that matter on any of our properties is, is solely for the deer and the management of, of uh you know the deer herd okay i got you that's cool and and that's that's really cool to see that you know you guys visualize that you know, coming in and, and taking a dozer and clearing out a section and, and getting some destination food in there. I mean, that that's what excites me about pieces of ground. You know, you really dissect it and just figure out what you don't have or what you want more of. You go in there and then you make it your own. So that's that's really cool for you guys to to see you guys do that. Yeah, I mean, it's when I like I said, when I moved to, you know, to this area with, with my wife in 2011, uh, her 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 dad and, and her brother, they uh, they were just really, really getting into, you know, the quality deer management side of things. And they had just acquired a, a large property and, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of snowballed ever since. And, you know, as much as we are passionate about hunting, you know, we're really passionate about, you know, the management of the deer, you know, the conservation of the resources and just really, you know, trying to get these deer to a, a particular age, you know, and maximize potential. You know, that's really become, you know, one of our true obsessions and, you know, what we're most passionate about. For sure. Now, when you guys made that transition with that four acre food plot, you know, and got the the more food in there, did you see a big shift in the next year of the deer movement or sightings and counters and daylight? Or, you know, did you see more deer coming to your farm or were you holding more deer? Did you get to see that? And like, did it feel like, oh crap, like this is like really working? Yeah. I mean, there was definitely, you know, from the first year we planned that, you know, that, that additional four acres, um, you know, obviously, you know, in that area, there's not a lot of acorns, there's, you know, there's not a ton of browse. So the deer rely heavily on, you know, what's planted. Um, you know, and a lot of the, the ag around us, you know, all the ag to the, to the West of us, that all gets, you know, that all gets picked, you know, that's, that's a farming operation. So, you know, these deer tend to, as the year goes on and, you know, in early, late September, early October, when these crops are getting picked out there, you know, I really see, you know, an increase in the deer numbers on our property. And fortunately, you know, we put that food plot in, you know, there, that big food plot has some really good bedding, you know, directly around it. Um, you know, so that first year we hunted that big food plot, we were getting a ton of deer on camera, just, you know, sightings, our hunting sightings, 
you know, visual sightings with, with, you know, with deer were up cameras were, were lighting up. So yeah, there was definitely a, uh, you know, an increase in deer living on the property. And we put that additional food in, but it also altered the way the deer traveled too, because before that, you know, truthfully, what we cleared out was, was prime bedding and it turned into a food plot, but it was really our only place that we could add an additional, you know, four or five acres. We wanted to get a big field in there. And unfortunately, in order to get that field in, we kind of had to bulldoze out some good bedding, um, you know, but we felt like the sacrifice was worth it because of the bedding that was directly around it. And it, and it really worked out to our advantage. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that's neat to need to hear. So I kind of want to go back 2018 about this deer, this, this seven point, did you have them named or anything like that? Do you name your deer? We do, but we didn't have a name for him that year. Cause he was just kind of generic and, uh, you know, and, and didn't really, like I said, we didn't really pay a lot of attention to him. So in 2018, he was unnamed. Okay. So what did you end up naming him? So we named him Rob. Um, and quick backstory on that is, you know, several years before that, we had a, a six point, a giant six point um, on a property that's about a half a mile away from here uh, that we called Bob. And the genetics to these deer, I mean, are just incredibly similar. Uh, you know, and when, when I got my first picture of him in 2019, you know, I sent it to my brother-in-law, my father-in-law and uh, you know, and, and the first thing we said is my God, it looks like, you know, it's gotta be a brother of, uh, you know, a descendant of, of that big six point Bob, you know, so the name Rob immediately was said and that's what stuck. Okay. Okay. I like that. So let's, let's refer to him as Rob then through the whole, the whole thing. Forgive okay. that. <laughs> so going into yeah, we- 19, 18, you know, you had tons of pictures of him and everything. Your wife was trying to kill him. You had one encounter of him. Then he was just turned to ghost going into 19, you know, when he showed up, whenever he did show up, like how much bigger did he get? Was he the same type of deer? Like how did that unfold? So historically on this property, you know, it's, it's weird, you know, it's not a good early season property. Um, you know, if that makes sense, you know, I, I typically don't, I don't even, a lot of times don't put cameras out in the summer because, you know, they're on the beans and they're on other things and they're just, they don't spend a lot of time on our, you know, on our property in the summer. Um, so in 2019, you know, I, I didn't know what that deer was going to turn into. And it wasn't like I was just, you know, waiting on pins and needles to see what he was. I never actually even put cameras out until, you know, probably the last week of September. Um, and I put like, you know, four or five cameras out around the you know, edges of the food plots where I, br- I, I run a ton of my cameras on scrapes, whether it be mock scrapes or, you know, live scrapes. I rely heavily on inventory from state from scrapes. Um, so I put them up on a couple scrapes. I made a couple mock scrapes, put them up. And, uh, you know, that year I was, you know, going into the season, we had a couple of bucks on other properties that I was kind of, uh, you know, focusing on. And I think it was probably like around the 10th or 11th of October. So these cameras had been up for, you know, I don't know, three weeks, you know, three or four weeks. I went in to check them and I started going through the pictures on this mock scrape. And I think it was right around the 10th. It was, it was one of the last pictures I was on a scrape. I got a video of him and he just, I was like, holy shit. I mean, he <laughs> went from 120 inch, you know, kind of generic eight point to, I would guess him at, you know, a huge framed, I mean, giant frame, short G threes, giant brows, probably 135 inch eight point. But it was just, you know, it almost took your breath away when you saw him because his frame was so large And he had one of the, you know, some of the coolest brow times I'd ever seen. And I was like, holy shit, this deer, you know, he blew up. Uh, And what's funny is, you know, he hit that scrape. And then 10 minutes later, my wife's buck, which she shot this year, was on the same scrape. So when I got that original, when I got that first picture of him, like I said, around the 10th or 11th of October, you know, my season changed. And that turned to my, you know, my number one target buck in 2019 was, was Rob, this, you know, this giant eight point that, like I said, I mean, even as an eight point, his G3s that year were only, you know, three or four, in, you know, not even four inches. They're probably two or three inches. So he just looked, you know, when you, when, if you got a quick glimpse of him, he looked like a giant six point with giant brows. Okay. How big was his brows that year, do you think? Um, I have a shed off his left side uh, that, you know, when I killed him, one of the uh, neighbors who had found his shed from 2019 was uh, gracious enough to give it to me. Uh, in 2019, his left side brow was just under nine inches. Um, his right side brow that year was a, 
just a tad shorter. I'd say that one was probably like seven inches. So, you know, he had, you know, a nine inch brow and roughly a seven inch brow in 2019. Wow. What a, what a horse. Now, how do you, did, you know, the year before you didn't know if he was like a three or four year old, when you got this picture, this video of him, was it really yep. like discernible of like, man, this deer is a four or five year old or like, did you know off that picture? Do you think, or that video? Yeah. Yeah. Based off the picture, and then I, well, off that camera, then as soon as I got that picture, I went back and pulled the other cameras out there, and he was on, you know, I think four of the five cameras he was on, and he, they were all, three of them were on scrape, so I was getting some good profile pictures of his body, and at that point, I was like, well, I think this deer's a five-year-old, um, but I knew he was at least a four-year-old, so he was a deer that, you know, our goal is, you know, we want to get deer to five and a half years old, um, but, you know, in certain situations, you know, you know, ultimately, you know, my goal is I don't want to shoot anything less than a four and a half year old. Yep. You know, I want these deer to be at least four and a half, but you know, really we'd like to see him get to five and a half. But when I got these pictures, you know, he was a big body deer, mature, big neck, you know, had a little bit of a hump in the back. And I, I immediately said, well, I'm you know, I'm just such a cool frame, you know, cool looking deer. You know, I, I, I was targeting this deer and I was going to hunt him the rest of the year if I could. Okay, so you get these pictures of this deer. So now, what is your October, November? How did that unfold? Did you ever see him? Did you ever ever encounter? Like, how did that season go? So in 2019, I had one encounter with him the entire season. Um, I hunted him quite a bit. You know, the one thing that's tough about this property is because where the food plots are, it was primarily old strip job. The, the all the trees are small diameter they're, they're small diameter pines and you literally can't get a tree stand anywhere like around we have one you know you're talking about like five and a half acres of food plot and we have one tree stand you know total um so we rely heavily on blinds uh to try and hunt these deer so i had i think i had that year i had two blinds set up um you know and we're sticklers about when you know in my opinion you know when you're trying to hunt a mature deer you have to have the right wind, you know, or at least, you know, a, a decent wind. I know a lot of times y'all push the envelope with a mediocre wind, but I also think with mediocre winds and, you know, in good scent containment, you know, that's the most ideal situation because they're a little bit more lax coming in for sure. But, uh, you know, so basically, you know, I hunted this deer when I could, you know, when the wind was right, I hunted him. Uh, if the wind wasn't right, I didn't hunt him. But in 2019, he was very daylight active and it was kind of frustrating because my stand options were limited to hunt him, but I, I feel like every time I checked the camera, you know, he was daylighting on scrapes. He was daylighting in the food plot. And I was just, I was really frustrated because I was like, I want to hunt this deer and I want to get in there, but I also don't want, I know that it's a small property. Um, the, the hunting pressure around it is substantial. And I knew that if I would go in there with a, with a bad wind and get, you know, over anxious and just try and get in there and kill him you know, I could potentially blow him off the property and, you know, somebody else shoot him. So, you know, I basically hunted him conservatively, um, hunted him with the right winds. And I never had an encounter with him until the last week of archery season. It was probably around the, like the 11th or 12th of November. And I started the morning off in a, in a prop and a stand on the backside of the property. So it'd be in the timber on this little pinch point, uh, right next to the edge of the swamp. And it was, a, I have a scrape, I have a mock scrape back there on the edge of the swamp that, that he was on all the time. So I knew he was spending a lot of his time. He was bedding and living in that swamp. And then he would basically use that swamp as a travel corridor to get to the different food sources. So I was hunting him a lot out of that stand. And I wasn't hunting him a lot out of the food plots because I was trying to get as close to bedding as I possibly could. So I started the morning off in that stand and as the morning went on, the wind got worse and worse. So about nine o'clock, uh, around nine o'clock, you know, the wind got unfavorable, started blowing into that swamp. So I climbed down and I went and got in this stand that we call the crossroads stand. Um, you know, it's basically in this intersection of a couple old uh, logging roads. Uh, it's probably a hundred acre or excuse me, a hundred yards from uh, the one food plot. And I climbed into there and, you know, to give you kind of a, a layout of the stand, we have it in a, a couple big pine trees. We cleared out these pine trees and we, we put this ladder stand in here and it's probably, you know, a 15 yard shot to the intersection. But because it's in these, you know, these, these pine trees, your visual behind you isn't that good. Um, you know, you can see, you know, the tram road that leads into the food plot. You can see the road that, that, that goes up to your right. 
Um, and then uh, right across the intersection from you, there's more pines and that, and th that blocks a lot of your visual. So there's not a, you know, visually it's not a great stand, but it's, it's, it's a great travel corridor. The deer travel on those roads. And, you know, I got in that stand probably about nine 15 and it was freezing cold that morning. I mean, the wind was brutal snow on the ground. And I mean, it was probably wind chill was around 10 degrees. And I, you know, I got in that stand around nine 15 and it was probably about 10 30. You know, I was frozen to the core and <laughs> I was like, this sucks. I was like, I'm going to try and stick it out till 11 o'clock and I'll never forget. You know, I, when I'm in a tree stand, like I try and be standing all the time. Like, you know, I just, I never, you know, I've had a situation where deer have snuck in on me and I've been sitting and, you know, it just doesn't, you know, it, it typically never works out. So I'm trying to always stand, but you know, this particular morning when I moved stands and about 10 30, I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm sitting down, you know, I'm hunkering down, pulled my hood up. And, you know, I, I probably, about, I remember looking at the, at my phone, it was 10 30. I was like, I'm sitting down. I'll give it till 11 o'clock and I'm getting out. And the movement that morning had been really slow. Um, I think I'd only seen, you know, one small buck that entire morning. And no sooner do I sit down and get hunkered down out of nowhere, I catch, you know, a glimpse of, of, you know, of, of deer feet below, you know, the, the, the lower hanging limbs on this pine tree. And as soon as I see that he pops out onto the road, 15 yards from me oh my like, gosh holy shit it's <laughs> so here i am sitting you know bundled up you know and he's standing there and he as soon as he hit the road you know he kind of put his nose down and you know he was he was definitely he was cruising for a doe you know he was sent checking you know he went through i'm assuming he came from the bedding area on the other side of the road across from me um so he kind of stopped and he was looking down and he was looking up and i slowly sat up and i got stood up you know got my seat up my bow was on my right-hand side, which he was on the road to the right-hand side of me, like I said, 15, 20 yards away. And I got my bow and, you know, I was so stiff when I pulled my bow off the hanger. And I, as I was bringing it to my body, I hit my cam off the, off the rail on the ladder stand. Oh. And, and I mean, it just made this, you know, horrific sound. And he immediately turns his, whips his head around and is looking straight at me. So I'm standing there, you know, he's at, like I said, I mean, no more than 20 yards. I've got my bow in my right hand, you know, and I'm just dead in the water. I mean, he's pegged on me and we probably have a stare off for probably 30, 45 seconds. And, you know, he's moving his head, trying to figure out what I am. And then he starts stomping and he kind of, you know, he kind of bounces off the road, leaps off the road and he goes probably 10, 15 yards. He's in this beach brush. So when he leaped, I put my, you know, put my bow in my bow hand, drew back, and he was still only 25, 30 yards. Um, but he was courting away, and I, I had there's brush blocking the vitals. I had absolutely no shot. And he stood there, was looking at me, and this went on for two minutes. I finally had to let down. He sees me let down. He blows, and he runs out to you know 60 yards uh, into into more brush, and just stands there for five minutes. I'm, you know, at that, at that distance, I obviously have no shot. And then he eventually blows again. Then he circles. The worst part about it at that point was he circled downwind. So oh, he got man. downwind of me. I'm sure he picked up my scent. And I was like, it was just, you know, the worst possible situation that could happen. So not only did he bust me, you know, he, he, he eluded me and went downwind of me and was blowing the whole freaking way. I mean, I, he, I watched him run for through the woods for 200 yards and every 10 yards he was blowing snort. And I'm like, this is. I'm like, I just freaking screwed the pooch on this. One. I was like, it's, it's game over. This deer, this deer is going to be two counties away. Oh, man. So, you know, I text, I text my brother-in-law and I'm like, I tell him what happened. And he's like, damn, I text my wife and I was just disgusted. And, uh, I, honestly, I got out of the stand. I don't even think I hunted that night. Like I was just so, you know, disappointed in myself, you know, cause I always pride myself in always being ready and, you know, trying to be, you know, standing up, you know, ready for anything. And, he just caught me with my, you know, my hands in my pocket. And, and it was, like I said, about as bad of a situation as possible that you can have with a mature deer. Um, so after that, you know, he really did disappear. I don't, you know, I got a couple pictures of him at nighttime. Um, you know, archery season ended um, and the pictures really dried up. I mean, I, like I said, I may have got a couple gun season came 
And one of the nice things about, you know, this property in particular is, you know, I know if this buck would have got shot, I would have known about it. Yeah. I know, you know, we're good friends with a lot of the landowners around us. Um, or if we're not good friends with them, we're acquaintances with them. Any big buck that gets shot out there, you know, we hear about it. So gun season, two weeks of gun season in Pennsylvania, you can use rifles. So, I mean, you've got people that are hunting, shooting deer from three, four, 500 yards away. It's, you know, it, it's a slaughter. You know, I'm not a big fan of the PA gun season, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, and I continue to hunt this deer, but after the first week and no sightings or no pictures of them, you know, I kind of, uh, switched my attention to a different deer and ended up harvesting a, you know, a buck on a different property. And, you know, the last week of the season went by and, you know, I didn't hear about him getting killed. Uh, and then a neighbor, uh, and I had no idea. So I assumed that he lived, um, you know, I, or at least I assumed he didn't get, you know, he didn't get shot you know, he wasn't harvested. And then in February, one of the neighbors sent me a, um, a, a picture of a shed. And as soon as I saw the shed, it was him, you know, it was a side with a big brow. I was like, okay, he lived. <laughs> um, you know, so basically, you know, when I boogered him that, you know, that around the 11th or 12th of November, I may have got, you know, three or four more pictures of him after, you know, the rest of the year. Yep. Uh, and that was it. Uh, but I knew that he lived based on, you know, they, they found his shed, the neighbor found his shed and then ultimately the other neighbor found his other shed. Um, you know, so we knew he was, I knew he was alive. So, you know, a lot of people say, and I, I'm one of them too. If you, if you bump a deer in a high pressured area, especially like, you know, when you're talking about PA being a rifle state, like Michigan's the same way, you know, our gun season is essentially about 25 days long now, now that you can shoot a rifle yep. in, in muzzleload season basically. But like, same kind of thing. Like, I feel like if you bump a, a mature deer like that, you know, your, your chances are, are basically 1%, if not less, you know what I mean? And he could be two counties over. Now, when you bumped him, you said you probably had like three or four pictures of him. Were they all dark pictures after that? Yeah. Every, all the, the three or four pictures that I got of him, uh, you know, after I, you know, I bumped him in the stand that day were all after dark, you know, they were, between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Okay. Uh, and they were actually on the outer. They weren't, you know, they weren't in the core of the property. They're out on the edge on, on, on cameras that I had along the edge of that swamp. Um, so I never got another picture of them in the core of the property that year. Okay. So it sounds like he adjusted his core area a little bit. Um, now with, with, yeah, the, I mean, with the neighbors around you and everything like that, like, and you guys say you talk, you know, and you kind of know what deer around and everything. Did any of your neighbors ever give you any intel after the fact, maybe, or even during that, like, you know, he's, he's moved over here and this is where he's at now. So that year, you know, after I bumped him, you know, and I never really saw him the rest of the year. Um, you know, the, the, the neighbor that sent me a picture of a shed, you know, we started talking and they had him all over in camera during rifle season, but him, you know, his whole family was tagged out. So, you know, ultimately, you know, he's like, we could have killed this deer relatively easy. We had him coming out in our fields, um, you know, during rifle season, we had a lot of daylight pictures of him. So, you know, I guess fortunately for me, they had already been tagged out or he may have never got to, uh, you know, to 2020, but, you know, he did divulge to me that they had, you know, if they would have had tags and rifle, you know, I take it with a grain of salt, you know, how truthful right. they're being, but you know, I have no reason not to believe him. Um, you know, he said that, you know, so obviously when I bumped this deer, you know, he kind of shifted and started spending a lot of his time on the other side of the swamp, uh, on this neighbor's property. Okay. So he basically just seeked cover where it, you know, there really wasn't a lot of pressure. So that, that's, that's pretty key to know. I mean, you didn't know it at the time, but like, I think that's what's so cool about deer and, you know, you put in the the pieces of the puzzle together, it's like, okay, you know, they didn't, weren't hunting much, you know, and there wasn't a lot of pressure on that side. It just makes sense that he moved over there probably. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, like I said, I didn't have a, you know, this is really the first year that I actively hunted the deer, you know, and this was the first year that I had, you know, a, a ton of trail camp picks them. So I was still putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, you know, I thought I had a really good grasp on where he was spending a majority of his time in terms of bedding. Um, you know, I felt like his core area, you know, I felt like our property encompassed, you know, a large portion of his core area. Okay. So now going out of 2019 into 2020, 
Now you know he is more than likely alive because you've got one of his sheds. So what was your game plan going into the 2020 season? So 2020, you know, my game plan was I got cameras out early and I had a ton of cameras out. And, you know, one of the, aside from, you know, not having many trees to, uh, to hunt out of, one of the bad things about this property is the access. Access is just terrible. Um, and unfortunately, it, in terms of access for not only hunting, for checking trail cameras, it's bad too. You know, you have to essentially walk into the areas you're going to hunt to check cameras. So I invested a ton of money into the Cuddy Link systems. Yep. Um, and I basically just saturated this property. I think I was running on a hundred acres. I think I had 12 Cuddy Links. Okay. Um, and they were all, and they were all, you know, distributed throughout the property heavily. A lot of cameras back around that swamp, trying to pick out where he's coming out of that swamp and, you know, where he's betting at. And then I had a ton of mock scrapes out and I covered the food plots and then the home camera was up by the gate. So I could basically just pull up, pull the card out, never even drive into the property. I could check all my cameras and then I had a cell cam running at the at one of the entrances to the food plot, which comes out the bedding to the uh, south. You know, they use this entrance into the food plot right by one of our blinds. And I have just enough service that I could run a, uh, a cell cam from there. So I had 12 cutty links and one cell camera running on uh, roughly, you know, 100 acres. Okay. So anybody out there and, listening you know, that doesn't know about the cutty link system, it's basically a daisy chain of cameras that you can pull a card in one particular camera and it gives you all the pictures from all the cameras. It's actually a pretty cool system. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, and you know, I was skeptical at first with, you know, how far, but you know, I, I've really fallen in love with them and, you know, I rely on them heavily in terms of giving me the ability to saturate an area with cameras and not have to saturate it with scent and, you know, and disturb the area checking them. For sure. Now, did you think that paid dividends and able to, you know, so you didn't put pressure on the farm. Do you think that really made the difference of, you know, letting the deer calm down and not being in there all the time? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think it helped exponentially in, in harvesting this buck and, and in particular my wife's buck i mean these deer you know they summered together um but you know the way i was able to distribute c these cameras throughout the property and I, I mean i could essentially check them every day you know whereas before i you know i, I cringed every time i went in there because i was like i'm doing it too soon i'm going in here too much now i was essentially driving out every morning and pulling that card and getting you know most recent information every single day and ultimately you know, I think that was one of the biggest, you know, contributing factors to us killing, you know, for me killing my buck, you know, and my wife killing her buck. I mean, it, it paid, paid huge dividends in the long run. Absolutely. Okay. So coming into October, did you already know this deer was back on the farm? And if you did, like, how big was he now? So coming into October, previously, the previous two years, I never had velvet pictures of him. You know, he typically showed up middle to end of October, um, 2020, you know, I put cameras out in July and it was probably end of August. I got a series of velvet pictures of them on one of the, you know, on the end of one of the food plots in this little pinch point, uh, in velvet. And it was him, the buck that my wife shot and then another buck. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was one of the coolest series of photos I've ever had in my life. Um, and when I got the, you know, the original, this initial picture of him at the end of August, I mean, I was just blown away. I mean, he was, he had turned, he went from an eight point to a seven point, but I mean, legitimately one of the biggest framed deer I'd ever seen his, his brows got even bigger. I mean, you know, I, I figured they were, you know, both nine, 10 inches. Um, you know, he was probably 19, 20 wide. His G twos were solid. Um, he lost his G4 or he lost his G3 on the right side and his G3 on the left side was only like, you know, four inches. So he was essentially, you know, a mainframe, you know, for, for, for the most part, a six point, but he had a small G4 or G3, excuse me, on the uh, left side. And he was just massive. Okay. So that G3 on the right side, did it break off or just never grew it that year? Nope. Just never grew it back. You know, he That's went from. Crazy. An eight point in 2018, an eight point in 2019 to a seven point in 2020. 
Um, but I mean, it was by far his biggest frame, biggest rack, but he was, he lost a point. That's crazy. You know, and I, as I look at these pictures, you, you're not kidding. This, the frame on this deer is just, I feel like seeing him walk through the timber, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that is a 170 inch deer. You know what I mean? And oh, I mean, giant you're shitting frame. Your, you're shitting your pants, literally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, when I, the, the morning I killed him was the first encounter I had with him. Uh, and I'll tell you about that, but just to give you an idea. So he scored 144 and six eighths as a seven point. Oh my gosh. Um, if you, if you take away his G three on the left side and just make him a six point, uh, he's 139 and six eighths is a six point. That's a huge six point, huge six point. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he's, he's one of the coolest deer I've ever seen in his brows. So his brows this year, both measured at 10 inches. Um, gnarly gnarly brows big bases uh he was 19 wide you know his g2 on the one side was 10 his g2 on the other side was like right around nine um and like i said his g his g3 on the left side his seventh point was i think four just right around four inches um but i mean he's just incredible frame deer i mean it just just massive i mean i our taxidermist shot a six point years ago and it's mounted in his house and every time i go into his house i'm like god that's a cool six point i've ever seen and i've i've always said like i want to kill a giant six point and that six point was like 125 inches and it just looks massive yeah and like i said this one if you take away his g3 on the left side he'd have been 139 and and six eights as as a (laughs) as a straight six point oh my gosh so coming into 2020 you said you didn't have any encounters with him then so i guess let's fast forward right to the day the morning it happened what day was it and and run us through that morning yep so killed him october 17th um up to that point i had daylight pictures of him uh leading up to the season and just a quick you know prelude to me killing him opening morning uh we had fairly, it was a good opening morning. It was cool temps. And I had told my daughter, I have a a four-year-old daughter who just loves to go hunting with me. She wanted to go hunting so bad. I said, all right, we'll go opening morning. We'll try and shoot a doe. And the whole night before me and my wife were talking, I was like, I should be on the stand. I should be hunting these deer. You know, they're, they're all over the cameras. Like, she's like, well, she's like, you know, Jade's going to be heartbroken if you don't, uh, if you don't take her. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So, you know, we go that morning, we hunt, we go to the, you know, the bakery, we get donuts, have a great morning. I get back about 10:30 and I go out and check the cameras and and he was on you know he was under one of the stands at 8:10 in the morning hitting a scrape and I'm just like I'm sick to my stomach I'm like oh, son man. of a gun and, and and you know and a lot of times you know well it doesn't matter I would have been in that stand anyways but that is the stand I would have been in that morning and I'm just like son of a gun so uh you know so fast forward you know those first two weeks of you know I have no encounters with him I'm solely hunting this deer uh I'm still getting pictures of them, but they weren't, you know, it wasn't like I was getting them every day. I'd get them and then two or three days would go by and then I'd pick them up again. Um, but the cameras that I was getting him on, you know, majority were back along this swamp, <clears throat> excuse me, where, you know, I thought he was spending majority of his time. Cause I know, you know, from, 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 you know, spring scouting and shed hunting, they use that swamp as just a pure travel corridor and they can get to any food source, you know, under the cover of that swamp. So October 17th, we have a stand back that's on the edge of the swamp. And in terms of like stand location, it is one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the best stands that we have on all of our properties. There's an old gas plug back there and it's wide open, no cover on it. So they don't want to travel through this gas plug. And the stand is on the lower end of this gas plug buried into these pine trees and the swamp would be to my west and you know it's a hard edge so they travel the edge of that swamp and basically there's just a natural pinch point between the swamp and this gas plug they don't want to travel you know they don't want to walk through that thick thick swamp they don't want to walk through the open gas plug so it necks them down uh to about this you know 60 yard opening um right where we have our stand and that morning the night before um so it'd been the 16th you know, I was contemplating on what to go to and the wind, you know, to be honest, was not that great. Um, it was a borderline wind at best, but, you know, I figured the thermals would be strong that morning based on, you know, the weather. I was like, you know, I'm going to push the envelope. I'm getting in there because I knew he was in there. I knew he was, you know, somewhere back there in that swamp. And I thought 
it was cold that morning. It was the coldest morning we had all season. It was probably a cold front had moved in Friday. And I think that morning it was like 26 degrees, 27 degrees, had a frost on the ground. So I decided to go back to this. We call it the gas plug stand. And uh, I get in the stand early. You know, I was in the stand probably 30 minutes before light. Got in the stand, got situated, got my bow hung and sit down and, you know, like most hunters do, started to you know, close my eyes and just get ready for, uh, you know, first light. And I'm sitting there and I'd been there for probably 15 minutes. And, you know, now it's probably 15 minutes before shooting light. And, you know, I hear this commotion to my left over on in, in, either in the swamp itself or on the, you know, it sat, what it sounded like is something stood up in the swamp and was coming through the cattails. Like it sounded like someone was moving through the cattails. And so I stand up, you know, and, and get my seat up and it comes and I can hear it literally come out of the swamp, but I can't see the swamp because there's, there's a wall of pines to my left. And, uh, and it comes out and then he must've started making a, uh, you know, a scrape because I just hear leaves being tore up and, you know, it sounds like, you know, I can hear a rack literally thrashing a tree. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, immediately I'm like this, this is a mature buck. And, you know, this goes on for like five minutes. He's just, you know, making a commotion over there or thrashing this tree and then it stops, you know, and probably a minute goes by and nothing. And then all of a sudden you start hearing, you know, those stiff legged footsteps, just, you know, real slow. And, you know, at this point he's probably 80 yards from me and I can't see the deer, but I can, you know, I can hear distinct footsteps starting to come my way. And, you know, I mean, as every hunter knows, you know, you just get that feeling when you're about, you know, when you hear these steps coming and you just, I, I deep down, I was like, it's this buck. Like I knew I, it was either this buck or it was another buck that was on his pride, but I knew it was a mature buck just by the way he was acting. And I knew what it was is, you know, my wind was basically blowing straight at him, but you know, thermals were strong that morning. I, I mean, I was hitting my wind checker. They were blowing straight up. I was like, well, let's see what happens. Um, you know, and it was like, I mean, it literally took him five, 10 minutes to come 80 yards, just literally he'd take two, three steps and stop two, three steps and stop. And finally he gets to the edge of these, these pines and I can literally see his hooves underneath the, you know, the, the, the limbs of these pines. And he stands there on that, on the edge of those pines for probably a minute. And I have my bow in hand. I mean, I know there's only about three shooting lanes in this stand uh, you know, and he's, he's going to come out in this 30 yard shooting lane. Um, and sure enough, you know, I mean, it, it's only been daylight for maybe, you know, five minutes, you know, legal shooting lane for five minutes. And, and he pops out from behind these hemlocks. And as soon as he pops out, he kind of angles away from me. And so the first thing I see is, and you know how it is when a big buck comes out and they turn looking away from you. I mean, I literally almost shit myself. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, it's raw. And you just this frame. I mean, I was, I mean, it literally took my breath away. And there's a there's a small, you know, beech tree there, and there's some limbs that were overhanging there, but he just started rubbing those his antlers in those limbs. You know, and he was quartering away hard at thir- you know, 28 yards. I was ranging him. All I want all he needed to do was turn slightly and I, you know, I could slip an arrow there. And, you know, he's rubbing his antlers and he stops. You know, he's throwing his nose up in the air and he just slowly turns and disappears behind the, the pines that he came out from behind. And I'm like, son of a gun. You know, I, he just you could tell, you know, he didn't know what I was, but he just wasn't that comfortable. He knew something was up. And he turned. And I could hear him starting to walk away. And I, you know, I, I probably listened to him walk for 20 or 30 yards. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, I'm going to try and grunt. You know, I literally looked, turned around in my backpack, reached down in, I was going to get out of my grunt tube. And just at that point, I was like, you know, what the hell, I'll give it a try. And I literally reach into my backpack, get the, my grunt call out. And as I'm turning back around, I hear footsteps coming from below me. So, you know, as a crow flies, it'd be in the direction of our food plots, you know, but something is coming through the woods. You know, I can hear a deer coming through the woods and, you know, from out from the brush comes this doe. And there's a, there's a live scrape probably 35 yards below me on this, on this pine. And this doe comes right to this scrape and she starts snipping the ground and, you know, she's rubbing her nose, you know, in, in, in the licking branch. And as soon as that, as that doe does that, this buck, literally, I can hear him turn and stop. And then I can hear him starting to come back towards me. 
So I'm like, okay, you know, literally this dough, thank God that this dough, you know, came out. Um, I mean, because I don't think, I mean, I don't know what would happen if I would have grunted, but I truly don't think that, you know, I would have got a shot at this deer if it wasn't for this doe. But, you know, she's down there at this scrape and, you know, she is just almost like playing in, you know, she's digging, bouncing around, you know, rubbing her nose in a young, a young doe, you know, probably a, not a yearling, but, you know, maybe a two and a half year old doe. And he's marching back and he literally does the exact same thing. He comes to the edge of these pines and he stops. And I can see it, you know, I can see his hooves under this, these limbs. And, you know, he stands there for probably 30 seconds and he slowly walks out and he comes into my second opening, which is, you know, my first opening, my second opening, they're both, you know, in that 25 to 30 yard range. And, you know, I drew back in the first opening, he kept going and he comes into the second opening, stops on his own, almost perfectly broadside, 28 yards. You know, I, I bury the pin on him. I let it fly. And, you know, I shoot light and knocks and I literally watch that arrow, you know, go right through him, complete pass through. He takes off like a bat out of hell. I can only watch him run for probably 30, 40 yards. And he disappears into, you know, some, some thick cover right along the edge of the swamp. And I continue to hear him run. And then he stops, uh, you know, and I, you know, I believe I, what I heard was him crashing, you know, kind of a disturbance, then nothing. And I'm like, oh, my God. But my initial <laughs> reaction when I shot was I was back and I was high. You know, I, I figured, you know, my, my initial reaction was when I shot, I felt good about it. But I was like, I think I'm I thought I was back and I thought I was a little bit high. But, you know, my I shoot a, a rage uh, no caller, you know, two inch cutting diameter. I'm like at that at that you know angle, 28 yards. You know, even if I went in on, on the entry side high, I was like, my exit will be fine. Um but I felt like I was probably at best back along, um, maybe liver. Um, but I swore I heard him, I heard him crash. So, you know, I sit there for probably 30 minutes. There's no service in that stand. I'm like, I'm just losing my shit. I'm like, I got to get out of the stand. I got to get back to the truck. I got, you know, call my, call my wife, call my brother-in-law, call my father-in-law, tell him what happened. So, you know, I waited probably a half an hour. Um, and fortunately he ran, you know, opposite the direction, you know, that, that I come in from. So I was able to climb down real quiet. Um, and I could see my arrow from the stand. I mean, it was sticking straight in the ground. I could see with my binos, it was soaked in blood. So I knew I had, you know, I knew it was a dead deer deep down. You know, I've, I've, you know, we've killed enough deer over the years, you know, we're, you know, that it, you know, get one in the middle of a body, you know, you might not be able to recover it right away, but you know, the deer is going to die. Um, so I felt really good about it. So I, we, I backtracked out, got to the truck, you know, called everybody, you know, went back to, we have a garage where we all, everybody kind of hangs out during deer season. We cut up deer. Um, we got a big cooler up there. It's kind of the, you know, the headquarters during archery season and went back there. My wife brought the kids up and waited for my, uh, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law to get out of the woods. Um, and by that time it was probably 10 30 in the morning. I shot him at like seven Oh five, seven Oh four, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're like, well, let's go in, check the arrow. We'll, 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 we'll just check the blood trail, see what we got. Cause I'm like, I, you know, I thought my shot was back, but I swear I heard him crash. So, and we wait through, we waited three hours, went in. What was funny is we got back to the stand and I was like, you know, he was right there. We walk up and the arrow's not there. I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, I'm literally saying, I'm like, the arrow was right here. I mean, it was literally right in front of this log and they're kind of looking at me like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> what like, the heck? you know, or, you know, and, you know, I, I glance up the trail and we, I mean, we literally looked, you know, for, for a minute, I'm like, what the hell, but we could see the blood trail. So we start following the blood trail up and we go 10 yards and then laying off the trail is the arrow. And, you know, not that it matters, but the only thing we can figure out is a coyote came through and, and grabbed that arrow, you know, and, and moved it because it was so strange. I mean, I literally was looking at the arrow stuck in the ground, straight up and down with my binos. And I got back and I was like, at a loss for words i'm like what the hell where's my that's arrow? crazy i mean i was it, it was so weird i'm like i they were like you know i was like shook and i'm like what the hell is going on here um but you know we started we were like well you know screw it let's just follow the blood trail um you know we went like 10 15 yards up the trail and here the arrow was laying you know in the brush just off the trail so the only thing we can figure kind of a size or the only thing we can figure is a coyote came through and you know must have grabbed that arrow and, and moved it or something but you know, basically we started taking up this blood trail and there's a lot of blood. Um, it was dark. 
but you know the amount of blood you know led us to believe that you know we hit something major you know we yep. hit some kind of you know either caught an artery or just based on the blood you know th- this deer was you know we could we could follow up the trail so we probably went you know 60 70 yards and you know i'm getting to where i thought i heard him crash and the blood trail turns and heads into the swamp and i look at my brother-in-law and i'm like what do you think he's like if this deer went into the swamp i think we need to back out and give him more time even though there's a ton of blood i mean we were just it it was weird because the blood was actually starting to thin out a little bit um and it was dark and i'm like you know maybe i did just hit back and you know it's straight because there were no bubbles in it but you know maybe it's just straight liver and you know i don't want to push him if he gets in the swamp and he gets on the other side you know it could be a bad deal so essentially you know we start falling we get to the edge of the swamp and he turns and starts heading back into the open timber and we went another 20 yards and i could see his belly laying there so oh um, man you know ultimately we got up there and and it, I, my shot was a little bit back um but you know basically i caught liver one lung but when i went in high i must have caught that aortic that ran across that runs across the top yep. and, you know i cut that you know caught the one lung i mean he was dead that was him crashing i heard so you know, we walk up to him and we're just all kind of blown away at, you know, he was even, you know, he was bigger than what we even thought. I mean, we, you know, he, one of the biggest frame deer we had seen in pictures, but getting your hands on him, we were just kind of blown away at, you know, how big he truly was and, uh, you know, and, and just how incredible, you know, of a deer it is. Um, you know, so it was, well, I was just wondering, like when you walked up on him, did he grow? Did, was he getting bigger? <laughs> you know what I mean? Than what you thought? Yeah. You know, so, so typically, you know, unfortunately most hunters suffer from, uh, you know, ground shrinkage when they walk up on the deer. Uh, this one actually had ground growth. You know, he was, he was big to, you know, we knew he was big, but once we, you know, got up to him and, you know, picked him up and got our hands on him, uh, he was even bigger, you know, bigger frame deer than what we had originally, you know, thought he was. That's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Congratulations, by the way. I mean, that's and everybody, yeah, thank I, you. I'm going <laughs> to use your picture for the cover art. So everybody, you know, before they watch us, they'll be able to see it. But I mean, what, uh, unbelievable deer. And you know, and your wife shot a really good deer this year also, right? Yeah. So she shot a, uh, a buck that summered they, they both these bucks summer together um you know and when i shot my buck you know i don't know if it was you know he you know we assumed he was the dominant buck in the area because when i shot my buck her buck really you know kind of moved into the core of this property um you know and she hunted this buck exclusively all year long um she had three encounters with him um before she actually was able to kill him um and he was he was an absolute giant I mean, he was 153 and uh two eights um and he actually was missing about two or three inches off his one brow tine uh you know so he was a mid 150s uh 10 point with a split g2 um just an absolute behemoth uh and she was actually able to harvest this deer on the same property in that four acre food plot uh over a decoy on november 7th which was one of the absolute i was with her when she shot him it was one of the absolute you know, coolest hunts I've ever been a part of. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations to you and your wife. That's what a season for you guys to have, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty incredible. You know, we ended up harvesting, you know, off a small property with, you know, tons and tons of of heavy hunting pressure around it and not just hunting pressure, you you know, we're friends with a lot of these guys that, that hunt around us and they're good hunters. You know, I mean, they're, they're not just going out there willy nilly and, you know, getting in the tree stand, regardless of the wind. I mean, they, they're smart hunters. They're good hunters. Um, you know, and I, I attribute, you know, our ability to kill these bucks was because we hunted them smart. You know, we didn't pressure them. We hunted them aggressively, but we hunted them with the right winds. Um, you know, if we didn't have the wind, we didn't hunt them. Uh, you know, and ultimately, you know, and like I said, I think a big thing too was because the way, you know, in years past, the property has been so hard to hunt because, you know, me, I want to check cameras and I want to get Intel, but, you know, I also have to infiltrate the core of the property, check cameras and unfortunately drop scent and, you know, potentially, you know, push these deer out. When we, when we switched over to that cutty link system and we're able to essentially, you know, cover that property with the amount of cameras that I was and get instant Intel every morning, you know, that also helped us in, uh, and being able to harvest, uh, you know, both these deer. 
That's awesome, man. I mean, just just to be able to sit back, identify some things that you can improve on, i.e. the cameras, stuff like that. I mean, that, like you said, I, I agree. After hearing the story, I feel like that was a difference maker for you. And ultimately, you know, what led to you guys harvesting two of the best bucks you guys probably have ever killed, you know? Um, and that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's by far my wife's best, uh, best buck, best archery buck. Um, score wise, you know, that's my, that's, you know, I shot one other buck that was bigger than that with my bow, um, in 2017. But I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, how unique this buck was and, uh, you know, and, and just the, the, you know, his frame itself, um, you know, I may not never shoot a deer that in my mind is cooler than that one. And he, and, you know, and we did just, I just did get his age back, um, a couple weeks ago and he came back at five and a half. So okay. I actually thought he was going to be six and a half. Uh, I thought I figured the first year we got him, he was uh, four and a half. And then, you know, 2019 to been five and a half. And then this year, six and a half, but uh, he was five and a half based on, you know, the, uh, you know, the cementum aging, um, but just a horse of a deer. I mean, giant body deer so that's cool man well congratulations again to both of you i want to i want to be conscious of your time and and uh probably going to cut you loose here but thank you again for coming on man and sharing your story that was great yeah i really uh really appreciate you having me on and uh you know i look forward to listening to your future podcast you do a really good job with this stuff and uh uh i know i'm a big fan of it appreciate that man thank you very much and uh good luck this next year yeah absolutely thanks a lot man all right, there you have it. Another great episode. Paul Baker, thank you very much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Unbelievable story. Really cool. Him and his wife have got things dialed in over there, and they're killing really good bucks. So thank you to him for coming on. Appreciate that. Um, lastly, I just want to tell you guys, go to iTunes, leave you know a review, leave a five-star rating. That'd be greatly appreciated for the fall podcast to get up higher in the rankings. And uh, so more people can see it and hear it and download it and all the above. So if you guys like the podcast, tell a friend about it that might not have heard about it. If you don't, don't tell them. Just say it's shit, I guess. (laughs) But either way, appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. And don't forget, we'll be right here on the Fall Podcast next Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.